Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I went away, away. But, um, yeah, Temple University, and it was a great film school. I was going to be a doctor, and I quit pre-med because I, I couldn't do chemistry or math. I'm too dumb right. at numbers. But I was a people person, and I loved film. I'd been making 8 millimeter. Now you're using your phone. But I would make, you know, student movies. And the movie I made at Temple University, I won a Student Academy Award. And the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences flew me to L.A. and I met Steven Spielberg and Koch, who was the head of the Academy at the time. All these amazing people in my life that I still know some today. And um, Matt Stone had won one. Spike Lee had won one. uh, John Lasseter, Pixar, had won one. So I met all these people. And they were there, and I was 21 years old. It was pretty amazing. I was an 11-minute serious documentary about my nephew who had his face reconstructed. Not screwing around. That's yeah. the truth. And he was uh, seven years old when he had it done. And so that's, uh, tell me that's a long-ass answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I didn't know you started out uh, that early, at least, you know, getting one of your films in school selected uh, in order to win that trip. And then, of course, you've, you've done a ton on both the stand-up side and the film side. And I know we don't have a ton of time, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain about one specific thing. And obviously, you've done Full House. You've done uh, Amer- America's Home Videos. You've done a ton of films, a ton of uh, stand-up stuff as well, a ton of experiences on both ends of the spectrum. Why were you chosen, because I'm such a big fan of the show, why were you chosen as the elder voice, as the narrator, the elder voice of uh, Ted Mosby, which is obviously played by Josh Radner, in How I Met Your Mother? Because it's very interesting to me that they would pick someone else besides Josh to narrate it, even though it's him and his life talking. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about how they can 
confronted you to uh, portray that and what your overall stance was on actually being the, again, elder voice of Josh Radner in a sense? Well, uh, I was... uh I was friends with the exec, one of the exec producers, Pam Fryman, and I got a phone call from her, and I was doing an off-Broadway play in New York, and she said, would you like to voice this show? And I read the script, How I Met Your Mother, the pilot, and I said, well, why don't you have him doing it? And she said, we wanted to have an older feel. I said, well, you wanted to sound like cigars and alcohol? Because, right. man. And um, she said, kind of, but we wanted to sound like a familiar voice, a fatherly voice. And so that's how it happened. And um, Josh, Josh and I are good friends, and we've talked about it. Actually, on the box set um, of the DVDs of How I Met Your Mother, the very last episode that on CBS Josh Radner narrated on the box set is an alternate version where I do narrate the last episode. So I got to say, and kids, that's the story of how I met your mother. Um, I say it so solemnly because it was a sad ending. It didn't upset me. I'll talk about it more if I want, but it was uh, actually emotional and wonderful. And it was a wonderful show, and I was proud to be a silent part of it with an amazing cast and brilliant uh, I mean, you get to, again, work and collaborate with all of these different people, whether it is Full House doing that for as long as you did with those guys, you know, building those relationships and those friendships, and then obviously How I Met Your Mother as well. I mean, you probably miss all of that at this point. Again, like doing this live stream tonight, interacting with some of your fans, and at the same time actually getting to do something with a platform. Because you haven't done much over the past year, have you? I know you did You did The Masked Singer, right? You, you dressed up as the squiggly monster, as the Masked Singer. And it was weird, man, because I was doing, you know, it was COVID. So it was the first thing I did. They had asked me to be on The Masked Singer before, and I'm friends with Ken Jeong, and I've known Robin Thicke a long time. I was friends with his dad. May he rest in peace, Alan Thicke. And they said, they asked me for years, since it started, do you want to be on it? Um, And I said, no, I'm I'm good. And um, then after about six months of quarantine, uh, I got a, a call from the producer, Craig Plestis, and he said, do you want to be on this? I said, yes. It was like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I clipped him. I wouldn't let him finish the sentence or the question. And I had a really good time, but they wouldn't let me see anybody. I was like, who's Broccoli? Because yeah. Broccoli started to piss me off. And then I didn't realize it was a competition. So it, the Masked Singer, you wear this, I had a diving belt, a diving helmet, not diving belt, that would have been heavier, diving helmet kind of thing on my head and it hurt like hell so I'm trying to walk I can't see anything and I sang I sang for real right that doesn't look good don't use that image I had the mic up to the the mesh but um and then when they took the head off when I got kicked off the show when they yelled take it off take it off and I wanted to pull my pants down but <laughs> and they, that could have happened by the way because the pants come off easy but the upper half yeah. is incredibly heavy um Anyway, um, so here's the deal. I, I didn't know that I was going to see the other characters. So here I am with with jellyfish and all these weird lips and all these... No, lips had already gotten kicked off. And I'm, I'm looking, and it looked like the Star Wars bar. Right. It looked like a lineup that I was <laughs> right. in with freaks. And then I never got to see anybody, and I was wondering who they were. Broccoli was Paul Anka. So I don't know. I could have kicked his butt. I think I should have got a third song. It was uh, Folsom Prison would have been my third song by Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. They would have kicked me off. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I enjoyed doing it. 
Um, nobody asked. But it definitely had to take you out of your comfort zone, considering the previous roles that you played. Because again, you are one of those unique guys in a unique position where you, like, yeah, you're a dirty comic who's also portrayed as this squeaky clean dad in in the eyes of most viewers who see you on television in film. When did Full House start? In, in the '90s, the '80s? I think it was late '80s, right? And then, like you said, like you have that clean cut persona. And at the same time, you're a, a comic who's willing to go off the rails. I was on another show on CBS uh, called The Morning Program, and I was on it for five months. It's on. It was on against Good Morning America and The Today Show, mm-hmm. and I got fired because oh, wow. they said I was too hot for morning TV. And the host of one of the hosts of the show, Marriott Hartley, very nice person, actress person, nice person, said, "Bob, are you a Type A personality?" And I said, yes, but I'm trying to work on my anus. And I meant A-ness, but it's, yeah. I said anus. And she said, go to your room. And they sent me to my room, which is nothing. It wasn't a real room, but it was a set. And I went up the stairs, and I waited there for 15 minutes until the commercial break. And then I knew that I was not going to be there anymore. So uh, then my manager called Jeff Franklin, the creator of Full House, who said he wanted me to begin with. And they... Flew me to L.A. while I was there doing this other show, the morning program, and I did a screen test with Dave, who was my friend for 10 years before, and John Stamos, who was my husband, and uh, that's it. I ended up uh, doing the show for a very long time, and it didn't do well. Yeah, I heard that. It took a while, like nearly four or five years before it to actually get going. Of course, like you and Stamos being the stars of that show as the adult figures in that show, because again, you came into it as a quote-unquote dirty comic. Like, you were not the squeaky clean guy that everybody kind of sees you now, at least again from the, the film side of things. When did you, you know, how old were you when you started comedy, or like, how old were you when you realized that that's what you wanted to pursue because again to be able to go from where you are from a stand-up standpoint and a film standpoint it's again unheard of like you are definitely a rare breed in the sense of going from uh, someone who tells inappropriate jokes to being again this clean-cut guy on 17. tv i started at 17 years old and i won a radio contest in philly at wmmr radio And I won $500, and I sang a song about bondage. Mm -hmm. That's what I did, 17-year-old singing a song about bondage. Something's wrong with that kid. And I used to also take my guitar. I did all guitar music on parodies and comedy songs because I loved Martin Mull and other comedy musicians. And I've been playing guitar since I was 11. I used to take the train to New York and wait in line 14 hours, sign the sheet on on, uh, open mic nights at the Improv in New York, Catch a Rising Star in New York. And um, it was pretty amazing. I'll I'll never forget it. And I'm glad I I came up the hard way, you know, living at home with my parents, making student films, and then taking a train to go do comedy and wait in line forever. That's kind of... uh, Wisdom comes through suffering. I think a philosopher said that who died a very violent death. No, no, I I say that all the time. I mean, my listeners who listen hear that frequently as well. I I totally believe that uh, the best moments in life come from those learning experiences and those really hardship times. And I'm sure you've had a a ton of those experiences as well coming up, whether it was in film or stand-up, where, again, like you have to tell jokes, and if they don't work, those are some pretty awkward, weird, and hard times. You were also on Broadway, right? I'm sure that had to be a very big learning curve for you, having to do all of that on stage with an audience. Well, I'll tell you, it was 
The Drowsy Chaperone. Now, this is a play that Bob Martin wrote and starred in, and he's brilliant. He just wrote a movie. I'm trying to think of what movie it is. Bob Martin, he's so brilliant. He had written a show in Canada called Slings and Arrows, a TV show. Right. And The Drowsy Chaperone, if you ever get a chance to see it, um, who became a dear friend of mine is the uh, producer, Kevin McCollum, and another big producer of the show is Bob Boyette, who I'd been friends with for a long time because he was also one of the exec producers of Full House. And along with Tom Miller... They produced shows like Mork and Mindy and Vernon Shirley and Happy Days. And, and Bosom Buddies is how I met him, because that was Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, and I was the warm-up comic on there. So then cut to, as some people say, which is really annoying. Um, here I am on Broadway, the second biggest theater, the Marquee. And I'd already done an off-Broadway play, which is the one I was doing called Privilege by Paul White, who wrote about a boy and did and, and Directed and wrote in Good Company. Remember that movie with Topher Grace and Scarlett Johansson. Dennis Quaid as well in that movie. Uh, yeah, I mean that's so interesting to hear you kind of trying to go out of your comfort zone to pursue all of these different things. Again, whether it's film, stand up, Broadway, uh, being on the Masked Singer during COVID times. I mean, I, I'm sure you talked a lot about it in Dirty Daddy, your book. I, I know a lot of people will see that and think like, yeah, he's uh, the American Dad. He's the, the stand-up comic, but at the same time, you tell a lot of personal stories in that book as well. What, what are some of the specific things that you tell in Dirty Daddy? The byline underneath it was, uh, I believe it was Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. I think I would change the title completely at this point, but I'm really proud of it. It's, it's not a curse book. It does have a stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. When I first did the book tour, I was at the 92nd Street Y, in New York City, and John Oliver uh, interviewed the, interviewed me for the talk back. You do a thing back and forth when you're going on a book tour. And it was right before uh, this week tonight, last week tonight. And he has such a brilliant free associative mind. I had like three pages on worrying about getting old, and I don't know, I'd have leakage, yeah. and it would be coming out of my, you know, my penis, mm-hmm. and then I would slip on it and fall down the stairs. And it was three pages of that. And then there'd be a chapter about how I lost two sisters. And so I talk about a lot of loss in my life and then how to find humor. And that's kind of, I think, what I got from my dad was a gift of not walking around going, why me? Why? Why Why did this happen to me? And instead have an attitude of how can I get through this and help others through it? Because loss is so difficult and to find humor not just gallows humor you know not just a sick joke Mm -hmm. but to somehow it's hard to explain but it's when something breaks the ice and you can get a smile out of someone who's going through the worst time in their life and it could be with a fart joke it can be with something that's not totally crude but it's in the book Dirty Daddy which was a New York Times bestseller I don't know who got paid off <laughs> no but that, that that's so true man I mean you've obviously displayed that through uh, whether it's stand up and again Full House which is I think a lot of people know you for Danny Tanner obviously uh, but you know there's so many things like you said just little things in order to make people laugh to again kind of change their mindset go about their day in a totally different um perspective you did another uh, comedy special right on hbo as well uh while we're at it when we're talking about comedy you did a, an hbo special that ain't right and that was a special 
that I got a lot of shit for because it it's it was very highly rated whatever they say and it got uh, either rave reviews or terrible reviews but that doesn't matter you do what you think is funny and uh, that was around the time that a lot of things happened i'd been on entourage and i'd been on uh i was in the aristocrats a lot of stuff had happened and i just came out of the gate and it was an r-rated special people think i'm x-rated i've never been x-rated ever i don't talk about things gynecological um I, I do when I go to the gynecologist because I'm trying to make a choice in my life right now. God, can I cancel myself? Anyway, so uh, HBO, I did a special with them. That ain't right. And I shot it um, at the Skirball Center, uh, Skirball Theater in New York City um, at NYU. So the audience was 21 years old. So I, there were a lot of F-bombs in it. I mean, if you counted the times I said that word, you'd be oh, yeah. in a drinking game. You would, would not get up. But I, I love doing that special, and um, it still runs, and people still like it. I watch it, I go, whoa, I don't think I'd say that now. But then again, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do when I do my new special, when I get back to doing a new tour, mm -hmm. as a lot of us comedians are dying. I mean, I'm sure you guys are dying to get back, you know, you know, in that room together and, and crank out some material. I mean, being friends with people, you know, that you've worked with for so many years, whether it's comics, actors alike, you know, like you're in Full House, you did Fuller House recently as well, uh, you know, you're in the Entourage episodes as well, you know, what, what's it like being friends with people that you've worked with for so many years and, you know, maintaining some of those friendships while others have kind of been tossed aside, but again, like, how is that um, for you and how have you been able to maintain those friendships over the years? Whatever shows I've been on and, and know people from, I, I stay friends with them. Um, except for a couple pilots that I wanted to stay friends with people, but you know, it's it's weird because you don't. It's not like high school. I don't have many friends from high school, but I moved a lot. No, I'm absolutely the same way. I, I stayed in touch with nobody from high school. I mean, an occasional text message every now and then, but I, I've lost touch with all of those people. At the end of the day, you're going to find the people that you mesh well with, and obviously, you found those uh, people, you know, outside of the industry, but inside the industry for, for everybody to see from a public standpoint. Obviously, you and Stamos uh, together on television was gold for so many years. You guys still get together and play music together I know you actually won a grant or you were nominated excuse me for a Grammy album uh, back in the day right it was that's what I'm talking about because after you do a special call that ain't right what's your next one called that's what I'm talking about with an apostrophe after the end and uh, I'm really proud of that uh, special I shot it at the Moore Theater in Seattle, and I was um, up against uh, some really, really talented people. And Kathy Griffin actually won for Best Comedy Album. And uh, I thought Tig Notaro was going to win because she's so special. And um, I'm trying to think who else was in that category. Might have been Patton Oswald, who's up again, I believe, this year. He's up pretty much every year because he's so prolific and been brilliant. I, I mean, I've always found it so fascinating, you know, guys in, in your world who are able to come up with this stuff, whether it's, you know, long-term, short-term, you think of it right off the top of your head, or it takes you months, even years to come up with a certain material that just is so ironic and funny, and, and it makes people think, like, in the moment, just like, yeah, he's so right. And you see that today with comics, you know, whether it's on Netflix or you go out to a show, obviously we haven't been able to, but, you know, in the past, you know, comics 
comics, whether, again, you're on Netflix online talking about real-life experiences that are ironic and real at the same time, I feel like it's going to be a lot harder moving forward, you know, because, again, you were talking about it earlier on the stream as well as here uh, about, you know, cancel culture and people, you know, taking offense to a lot of things. But, you know, do you feel like uh, the comics today, whether, you know, it is the Bill Burrs or the Chappelles or the Chris Rocks of the world, uh, do you think that they're going to be as well as you, you know, like, because, again, you, you're you're a comic who's not afraid to give his opinions on things in, in the way that you give them. Do you think it's going to be easier or harder? And have you enjoyed uh, the specials that have come out over the past year? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.